0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. Well, happy Ash Wednesday. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day also. Uh, One of the things about Ash Wednesday is it brings into focus two realities of human nature. Our mortality, that we will die, and also our sinfulness. You see this in the liturgical actions of the service. We put ash on our forehead and, and we hear that we are dust and we will return to dust. Um, Last year, Father Stephen preached a beautiful sermon on Ash Wednesday about our mortality, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that and how Ash Wednesday brings to mind our mortality, that we will die, but it does so pointing us to the cross because Lent is always a journey to Holy Week and Good Friday. And there we see that our mortality, our death, is transformed by the cross into life. And indeed, we find out that the only way to truly enter into life is by Being crucified with Christ. The way of the cross is the way of life. Similarly, while the ashes are being put on our forehead, we not only are reminded of our mortality, but also of our fallen sinful nature. Repent, you are told, which means turn away from your sin. Acknowledge that you are a sinner and you have to turn around in order to go the way of God. Repent and believe the gospel. So Lent is also a time when we are called as a people to a season of regular self-examination of our lives and of confession and repentance. And in the same way that the cross transforms death into life, likewise this process of self-examination of repentance and confession of sin brings us to the cross where a great miracle takes place. There we stand before Jesus and we give to Him our sin, as we name it, and we receive from Him His holiness, His righteousness. Not only is death transformed into life, but we ourselves are transformed from broken sinners into the sons and daughters of God. No wonder God wants us to regularly be practicing confession. Our goal today, and my goal is, is very simple, though I, I think an important one. My hope is that as a result of you being here today and as us as a church being gathered, we would walk through this Lent, and indeed after the season of Lent, but especially this Lent, more regularly practicing confession. That's, that's the goal. So in order to achieve that goal, we're going to spend just a little bit of time understanding why confession is essential to the gospel, to our salvation, And then I'll share a few thoughts on how to practice confession, both in our our private prayer life as we confess our sins to God, but also as we would confess to another believer. So confession is essential to the gospel. In fact, it's a matter of spiritual life and death. When I was eight years old, my family was over at another family, some family friends at their home. And they were watching the Bulls play the Portland Trailblazers in the 1992 NBA playoffs. So everybody was in the house. I was out in the backyard, all by myself. And in the backyard, there was a pool. Now I knew how to swim, but it's still not a good idea for an eight-year-old to be all alone by a pool. Next to the pool, I saw this thing that looked like a pool toy. You you, you sit in it on your knees, and you strap this strap around you. Um, it's actually called a wakeboard. And it's meant for the lake, where you hold onto a rope and the forward momentum of the boat pulling you through the water keeps you upright. You're also supposed to wear a life jacket. I didn't know any of these things. I saw pool, pool toy. I put my knees down, strapped a strap over my knees and hopped in and immediately capsized. And without any life jacket, I was under the water and panicking, as you can imagine, utterly panicking. I tried to flap myself upright and get a breath. I I couldn't do it. I thought maybe I'll paddle under the water, get to the side of the pool, and pull myself up. But physically, that would be impossible. So instead, I was just flailing about. And I didn't know that every wakeboard has on the strap a, a special release. You just pull that strap, and the whole strap comes undone. I didn't know this. So here I am, desperate, thinking I'm going to die. I'm eight years old, and I'm going to die and in my desperate flailing, I, I won't say by luck, by God's grace and providence, I somehow grabbed that release strap, was released from the wakeboard, and came up to the air <gasps> gasping for that breath of air. Confession is life or death for the soul in the same way that breathing air is life or death for your body sin wants to hold you under the water and when you finally confess your sins it's like finding that release strap setting yourself free to come up and breathe the air so as we begin uh, today i want to ask you just a question at the beginning how important is the practice of confession in your life is that a regular thing that you're doing are you praying to god examining your life offering him confession Have you ever confessed to another person? Is that something you do often or not very often or you've never done that before? How important is the practice of confession to the spiritual health of your soul? In your bulletin, there's an additional scripture reading that's printed on the sermon page. It's from 1 John. Two verses out of the first chapter of 1 John. It's probably, if you grew up in the church, you might have memorized these verses for good reason. Here we go. Verse 8, the Apostle says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess He is faithful and just, He will forgive us and cleanse us of all. Unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. What a powerful verse to know about. This verse tells us that if we confess, we will be set free. So confession is like pulling that release strap, coming up to breathe the free air. And notice it doesn't say, if we confess and the sin isn't too big, then you'll be forgiven. Notice it also doesn't say... If you confess, but the number of times confessing similar grievances does not exceed the number 78, then you will be forgiven. No, there's no limit. No matter how deep you've gone, there's no sin that's too big that God will not forgive it. There's no number of times that you've committed the same sin and come back and had to repent again. If you were truly repenting and saying, this is not who I want to be, God says, I will forgive you every time. There is no condition. There's no requirement. There's nothing that you have to meet ahead of time in order to receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Except for one condition. There's one requirement. Look again. The beginning of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, there's a very important word. Two letters, but very important. If. There is a condition. If we say we have no sin, if we do confess, he is faithful and just. So the condition is this. We have to confess. If we confess, the promise and the assurance is ours. If we do not confess, we have no assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And you might say, well, I I thought the gospel was that there's nothing that we have to do in order to achieve our own salvation. I thought it was that God does everything for us. Well, on the one hand, that's true. God does everything. But that's why confession exactly is the one thing we need to do, because it's in confession, in the act of confessing our sins, that we say, I can't do this. On my own, I cannot be the person I am supposed to be. On my own, I cannot be perfect. I've tried, and I cannot do it. I need you, God, to forgive me. I also need you to help me. I need you to make me holy. The Bible's really clear. We have to do that. We have to say that. We have to believe that. God, I need your help. It's like when Jesus said, look, I have not come for the righteous ones who say they, they need no repentance. He said, it's like a doctor doesn't go around to the, to the healthy. The doctor goes to the sick. Likewise, I have not called the righteous to repentance or those who think they're righteous and don't realize they're not. I've called sinners to repentance. Jesus has come to us and he said, I will let you breathe the free air. I just need you to pull that strap. Thanks be to God, he's more gracious. Uh, He doesn't let us flounder around. He makes it really clear where's the strap? How do you pull it? It's confess your sins and breathe the free air. Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I love it. it does not just say you forgive my sin, but you also forgive the guilt of it. That weight, that heaviness, the burden. He wants to set us free, so he has given us the gift of confession. And now we see that confession for the forgiveness of sins is an essential part to understanding the gospel, our salvation. So let's talk about, then, how to practice confession. How do we confess? Well, I'll talk a little bit about private confession. I'll also talk a little bit about confessing to another believer. But the first and most basic confession is simply to say, I am a sinner. I'm sinful. I have sinned, and I need a Savior. That may seem really basic, but there's actually a lot of people who would say, I actually think I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as so-and-so over there. And they have not even gone to that point of saying, I'm a sinner, and acknowledging their need for a Savior. So that is the first and most basic confession. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. After you've made that initial step, then you enter into an ongoing, lifelong process of repentance, of God revealing your sin, seeing it, and saying, take it away and strengthen me to become more like you. Because no Christian is perfect. We never claim that. And, and even after we receive the gift of baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we know that sin will remain with us for the rest of this life. Yes, there's growth. Yes, there is victory over uh, what's called habitual or besetting sin. I've seen it. I know it happens. I've experienced it myself. So there is growth and there's victory. Yet in this life, we will never be without the need to confess and to be living ongoing repentant lives. So let's talk about what it means to privately confess to God. Uh, Sometimes I I, I think people wonder, is there some emotional state that's required of me in order for confession to work? Do I have to work myself up to a certain sadness, or do I have to feel really bad about myself? And I just want to say that that's a really common thought or, or, or misunderstanding. There's no emotional prerequisite. For confession to work. It's simply speaking the words. And yes, believing them. If you're speaking them without any attention to what you're saying, that's, that's different. But you don't have to reach a certain level of sadness or feeling. When Jesus talked about forgiveness of sin, he actually used money as a metaphor. He talked about sin as like a debt and forgiveness being the debt being erased. That's actually really helpful because in one way, if we think about forgiveness— as a transaction, we usually don't like thinking in terms of transaction. It feels mechanical or unfeeling or impersonal. But what's the benefit? The benefit is this. A transaction works no matter how you're feeling. So when you go to the grocery store and you're checking out and you hand them your credit card or you hand them the check or the cash, you're not going to hear them say, let's try that again. I can't give you your groceries until you put a little more feeling into that, okay? I'm going to hand the check back to you. You hand it to me. And if, if you really feel it, I will give you your groceries. It doesn't work that way because it's a transaction. I give you the money. I get my groceries. That's actually a really helpful way to think about when we're asking for forgiveness. It's also a really helpful way to think about when we're forgiving others. Because if you wait till you feel like you're ready to forgive somebody, chances are you never will. But if you say, you know what? Jesus said to do this, I'm going to do it regardless of my emotional state because that's not required for it to work, for it to count. Then I'm going to go ahead and do it. And usually what happens is you find that the freedom and that emotional state you're looking for, that love for that person that you are extending forgiveness towards, it comes after. But there's no emotional prerequisite. How might you go about this process of self-examination? Well, when you make private confession, this is something you could do every day at the end of the day, or it's something you could at least incorporate into your weekly rhythm. And a way that you can do it is you have to have time and a way for examination. So time, meaning this is not the kind of prayer that works on the go. There's some prayer that's great on the go. This you need time and space for, for true reflection. So maybe at the end of the day works best. Maybe on a Saturday night at the end of the week works best. Um, I'd love to have our folks prepare themselves for Sunday morning by, by thinking back on the week, what, did I, what do I need to confess? And then guess what? You remember those things and bring them the next Sunday morning, and then in the time of confession, which is relatively short, it's like 20 seconds, it's not time to do the reflection. If you've already done the reflection ahead of time, now, boom, you can just say to God those things that you want to confess, and that's going to make that, that time more meaningful. All right, but you need time for reflection. You also need a way to examine. So there are many ways to do self-examination, but probably the two most basic ones are Scripture and then your own conscience. So you can examine by just simply the daily reading of Scripture that you do. You read it asking the Lord the question, is this revealing anything that I need to confess, that I need to repent of? Or you can go to specific scriptures that, by their nature, are going to help you do that self-examination. I'm going to make this really easy for you. I'm going to give you three, but they all come in places in the Bible where the chapter number is five. All right? So Deuteronomy 5 is the Ten Commandments. You go through that list, and you're able to see, okay, in what way am I sinning against God? How am I sinning against my neighbors? Deuteronomy 5 and the Ten Commandments. The Beatitudes are given to us in Matthew 5. And these are a more positive, here's what you should be doing. And you read those and you can say, ah, I'm not quite there. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Or in Galatians 5, you have the fruit of the Spirit. You also have a list of the fruit of the sinful nature, and that can also be helpful for for self-examination. So Deuteronomy 5, Ten Commandments. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit. Those are scriptures that you can go to and they will aid you in that self-examination. You can also listen to your conscience. God has given us our conscience as a gift. So when you're looking back on the day, you're, you're simply asking the Holy Spirit, was there something I said? Was there something that I did? Was there something that I thought Is there any kind of underlying foundational attitude that I have that is not pleasing to you? If so, let me know, and I will confess it. And here's something to know about your conscience versus the voice of the Holy Spirit versus the voice of the evil one. The evil one loves to speak in generalities. So you hear things like, you're just not good enough. You need to try harder. You are a bad Christian. You're a bad father. You're a bad mother. That's the voice of the evil one. The Holy Spirit speaks with specificity. And when he speaks, your heart is actually lightened. And you say, I want to confess that. I want to give that over. I know that it will be freeing for me to do so. So, for example, you're, you're in uh, that time of examination and the Holy Spirit says, you lied today. You showed up late and y- you told a fib about why you were late. Oh, I did. You're right. I'm, I'm sorry. I lied. Specific thing he's pointing to. Now you confess it. Now it's gone. Or... You, you had a jealous thought, a jealous thought in your heart when you heard about so-and-so who got the job. Ah, oh, you're right, I was jealous. Forgive me for my jealousy. So you're naming specific sins. For confession to really work, the more specific we get, the better. And there's power in speaking it out loud. Some people like to write their confessions down in a journal. That way it just kind of gets it out of your head and, and into the air or onto the page. It just makes it more real. I also want to talk a little bit about making confession to another person. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, has a beautiful short chapter all about confessing to another. I, I'll just give you kind of the, the basic summary of it where he says, look, if all you ever do is confess to God by yourself, there could be deception. And you say, well, wait a minute, God cannot be deceived. Of course, God cannot be deceived. He knows all your sins. You're the one that's being deceived. You're not actually truly confessing. You're not actually seeing the depth of your sin. There's a way in which when you're before a brother or a sister and you're saying, I said this, I did that, I thought that. Now all of a sudden in that holy humiliation, you're being sanctified. There's no way to wiggle around it. There's, there's no way to deceive yourself in that moment. The beautiful thing about this is it, it is fallen human nature that, that we go around, and Bonhoeffer talks about this, we, we go around wearing a mask all the time. We're, we're managing our image all the time. And this makes us afraid to confess to somebody else, to admit. If you really Because our fear is if you really knew what I said or what I did or, or some of the thoughts I've had, you would reject me and you'd think, awful things about me. But as soon as we make that confession to another person, the mask comes down. They see us for who we are, and instead of rejecting us, they say, "You are you're beloved and you're forgiven." And guess what? When you do that, you take your mask down, now they can take their mask down. And this pretending that we have to do all the time, that game can be over. Wouldn't that be amazing? The other beautiful thing about when you make confession to another, the the powerful thing is when we say that we are the body of Christ, that is not a metaphor. That's a real thing. We are really one body. And the sobering thing about sin is when you sin, when I sin, when we sin in the privacy of our own thoughts, in the privacy of our own home, it actually affects everybody. Our sin compromises the holiness of the church. So when you make a confession to another member of the church, You're saying, I'm sorry, I let you down. And they're able to say, yes, you did, but you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And then that can not only make that forgiveness all the more powerful, it can also help with the motivation next time around. I don't want to let my brothers and sisters down. Of course, if you do, you know there's always the gift of confession because a true confession will never be denied. To that end, I, I, might, I might encourage you also to think about sacramental confession. There's a special grace when you're confessing to a priest. Jesus said that he gave authority to the church to forgive sins. And so there is something that's deep and assuring when that minister says, You are forgiven in the authority in the name of Jesus, then you know it's true. You don't have to wonder anymore. There's deep assurance. Uh, Just this morning, after the first service, a man leaned over to me and said, I made sacramental confession twice during Lent at this church, and each time was relieved from decades of sin. And then just this morning, I, I met with a young man. He made a confession, and the first thing he said afterwards with tears slowly going down his cheeks is, I really needed to do that. I just felt the weight of five years of sin lift off of me. So there's power in sacramental confession We do it today, Ash Wednesday. We'll do it on Good Friday. But anytime you want to make a sacramental confession, you just call the church, let us know. We'll arrange it. So here's some questions to to leave with you. First, a question for everybody. How is the Lord encouraging you to incorporate self-examination and confession as part of your daily, or at least your weekly, Lenten discipline. So if that's not already in your thought about your Lenten journey, I want you to be thinking, how, how could it be? How could I incorporate self-examination and in confession? Second question, This this may not be for everybody, but for some of you, is the Lord perhaps encouraging you to reach out to somebody to make regular confession, to confess to a brother or a sister? It might, it might be your spouse. might be a roommate. might be a friend. might be a res group member. And during this Lent, you're going to make more regular confession to another person. Or the last question, do you need to make a sacramental confession sometime this Lent? Is the Lord laying that on your heart? May God give us grace to humbly and truly repent and to confess our sins and receive the forgiveness that He offers. Amen. Thanks for listening.